0: Milliken, and this is Rebecca Milliken, and this is Crime and Stuff our 21st episode 21 21 we're legal now and we're the podcast you would do if you had nothing better to do yeah and you obviously would listen to if you had nothing better to right. do or listen to, or wouldn't listen to if you had nothing wait so, oh, whatever I get mixed I, up I know uh before, before our we, topic yes do you have I have an update on um, something something remember how in episode eight the Maura Murray episode, I went on this tangent about the supposed serial killer of drunken young men yes. walking in the water. Yes. So, in March, another drunken young man disappeared in Boston. The serial killer struck again. Yeah, he disappeared. He was at TD Garden North, whatever they call it. I just call it Boston Garden, like we used the victim? The victim was. What's his name? His name is Michael Kelleher of South borough Massachusetts. He was 23. He was at a Bruins game. I think it could have been a Celtics game. Oh, I'm sorry. It was a Celtics game. And he was there. I'm not sure who he was with, because the stories, because he's a young man instead of a young woman, are not as interest, you know, as full of detail as they should be. But he was supposed to meet a friend and never met the friend. After the game, it was on March 29th. His family said he had gotten drunk during the game. I'm not sure how they knew that, but I think a, 23- His friends probably a 23-year-old say. young man at a Celtics game. That's probably going to get caught. Yeah. In Boston. He was found this morning in the Charles River in Boston, yeah. and today is April 16th, so yeah. he was missing for a few weeks. We had talked in that episode about this whole theory that there's a serial killer killing <laughs> young men throwing and throwing them in the water. And... But and happy to faces. everyone's credit, this story doesn't bring that up. Thank God. It says, at this time, both detectives and crime scene service troopers are investigating. The medical examiner's office is working to determine the exact cause and manner of death, but neither the family nor police suspect foul play, but rather that Kelleher fell. Into the river. Because, I mean, because the, people do. it's close to the water, and yes. And they're wandering around drunk, and it's cold out. And, and dark, and you might are, not even see what you're doing. So and once you're in that water, forget it. So that's our news update. Okay, um, and I just thought something interesting that's happening, it happened in Maine this past it, week it or so. It was actually a historic it is. is we'll have thing. to talk we'll to have Matt. Have Matt talk about it if he if ever have, comes back. I don't know. Oh. Maybe he's mad at us or something. No, oh, I think it's but just. But so good. this, so this guy. What was his name? Andy Sanborn. Thank you, Andy Sanborn. He was arrested at 25. 27 years ago. I'm glad somebody in knows something. In 1990, when he, he was 16, he was arrested for killing his this what is, a friend. Yeah, they called her his girlfriend, but he was like a short term. That he was, they were in the same group of people. They were homeless teens that hung out on the streets. He was arrested for killing her. His conviction was not overturned. He's been in jail for 25 years. Um, he was he was sentenced to life. He was well, he was convicted 25 years ago. He was arrested 27. Uh, yeah, okay. He was sentenced to life in prison, and he got a bail hearing, and he was given bail. I think it was $200,000. Oh, and they said it's the first time. First time ever. That uh, someone found guilty in Maine and convicted of murder has been. Oh, he got a 70-year sentence. It has been let out. Yes. The first time ever that that someone has been given bail who has been convicted of murder I mean, the bail is just a, a side thing to it. I know, but no, because usually when you're convicted, you're in jail. And right, you're... <laughs> because you're not let out of jail, so you're not going to have bail. It's the fact that he's been let out, not the fact that he's right. been given bail. I mean, they could have not given him bail and let oh, him out. Oh, that's true, too. Okay. But his, they had no evidence at all. They found her... Stabbed body in the water. I was on the main state pier. Or her stuff was on the pier. I don't know if her body was found. They found her body in the water. Mm, Stabbed and mutilated. And a blood on the pier, but no evidence against him whatsoever. And some of her stuff was on the pier, pier, her shoes or her something. Her glasses and her shoes and I think her purse. The only evidence they had was an eyewitness testimony of a girl that knew them, who was 13 at the time, and the defense did not know this at the time, but she was legally blind, and it was nighttime. And she also later recanted and said she wasn't even in the area. Right, but what happened is she had 2,200 vision, and couldn't possibly, that time of night, have seen what she said she saw. And the prosecution never told the defense that she couldn't see well. And it should have been part of so the story So it's discovery. a long, involved story. We're gonna, we, Maybe we'll do an episode and, and on it. I think we should do an episode on it. But it's very interesting. But she recanted and um, said that at the time, and she was 13, said that the police kind of coerced her and told her what to say. Which is totally believable. And both she of was, them are retired now and say they never did, but she was 13. Cops. Right. She was 13. Her social worker, who was her considered her legal guardian at the time because she was a ward of the state, said so the police never talked to her or had her sit with the girl while they were questioning her. They questioned the girl without any other and adult And they questioned there. all their friends and, um, and were intimidating to all of them. Right. And any 13-year-old is going to be intimidated no matter what the police said or did, and one of the prosecutors, actually not one of the prosecutors, one of Sanborn's lawyers, somebody in the case that I read the other day said that they feel like she made up the story, that she saw it happen, you know, to I impress feel like her a friends. like a yeah. war story, yeah. A war story to impress her friends. Yeah. And it got out of hand. And so she fully recanted. And a couple other witnesses who didn't claim to see the murder but also testified to things that implicated Sanborn have also recanted. Yes. And they had no evidence against him at well, all. And he I was a 16-year-old like, kid with y- a mullet. Yeah, with him. well, who didn't back then? So, so yeah, we should, we should. definitely so we'll do, it. do yes. it. Maybe we can talk to some local people about it. Maybe we could. I don't think the detectives would talk no, to No, I don't think so. And I think that they would stick by their... Story yeah, about and it's yeah. interesting that the one of the assistant attorney generals who was complicit in this whole thing, Pam Ames oh, yeah. is now, now, a, now a lawyer attorney. in Waterville, a defense attorney. Yeah, she is. Anyway, so, so that was an interesting case that happened here, Maine Yes, yeah, so I think we'll probably be doing it. Yeah, we should do a full episode. Maybe we could have we Matt see, as a out. guest on the episode to talk about yes, the legal if he, implications. If he feels comfortable talking about it. Yeah, as well as well, not his case. He seems comfortable, doesn't he? <laughs> when he's here <laughs> talking about shit. I don't know, we haven't seen him for a while. Oh, long. that's true. Okay, so So are we gonna do tonight's topic? Yes. And it's your turn. Yes, and today is Easter Sunday, the day we're recording. A lot of our listeners don't know that tomorrow is a holiday too in Maine and Massachusetts only. Patriots Day. Patriots Day. And it's not named after the football team. It celebrates the battles of Lexington and Concord, Massachusetts. Unless you're, what's your <laughs> Unless you're Boxman, Michelle Bachman. Who thought it was conquered conquered New Hampshire. Hampshire. What a war. New uh, uh, Hampshire, and nothing else. Didn't you ever have to read the poem? You know, yeah, the Midnight Ride Compton, of Paul Revere? probably, a lot of people think that uh, all of New England is one state. Yeah, so they do. That was the first military engagement of the, Amer- or one of the first military engagements of the American Revolutionary War. Did you know that? I did. Oh, mm-hmm. And that took place on April 19th, 1775. And you know what else happened on April nineteenth? Two hundred and twenty years later, the Oklahoma City bombing, and that's what I'm doing. Wow! And another thing that happened on that date, two years before that, in 1993, was the culmination of the Branch Davidian siege Waco. in Waco, Texas. Now, so, and I bring this up because it has significance. Right. I would in say the Oklahoma fact, Right. The fact that Waco happened on that date is a coincidence. Oh, on the date of the Waco happened on April nineteenth yes. I mean it was 50 yes days. that the fact that Waco happened on the same day as the Battle of Lexington and Concord, yes, that is a coincidence when we're talking about the Oklahoma City bombing, we know for sure that he picked that date because of Waco, yes, but he also some people say he also picked it because of the battle, although I think those people for are giving freedom him too much <laughs> when I decided to do this, I didn't realize or maybe I did in the back of my mind, that it is almost the 22nd anniversary. Today, like you said, is the 16th, so right. in three days. And it'll actually, that's interesting because the year it happened, it was Easter Sunday, and it was the, oh. What, Oklahoma City? Yeah, no, the Sunday wasn't... before was Easter Sunday. Right, yeah, I was going to say, heaven on No, the day. Sunday prior You're to right. it was Easter right. Sunday but it happened on a wednesday right. i believe i had i would have to look at my internet calendar to be sure but i think it was a wednesday morning so for those of you who don't know what we're talking about here is the gist at 9:02 a.m. april 19th 1995 that's central time yes a rider rental truck filled with an explosive mix of ammonium nitrate fertilizer and gallons of fuel oil detonated in front of the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And by the way, do you know who Alfred P. Murrah was? I did at one point, but I don't know now. He was one of the youngest federal judges in U.S. history. He was appointed by FDR in 1936 at the age of 32. He was from Oklahoma obviously. He died in 1975 and the building was built in 1977. And I have to say it was not a very attractive building. It was ugly. Yeah, but you know. Anyway, back to the bombing. But all I can picture is how it looked after I know, the I know. And seeing those pictures again after all these years it just brought it like all Like the one of the fireman with a little girl. Oh god. But anyway, okay. anyway back to the bombing. 168 people died and hundreds, some accounts say over 650, were injured. 19 of the dead were young children because there was a daycare center in the building. The rescue effort took two weeks and over 300 buildings in the area were damaged. The main suspect, Timothy McVeigh, was arrested April 21st, so fairly quickly after the bombing. He was put to death on June eleventh, two 2001. These are the bare facts of the case. Boy, he got executed quite quickly. You'll see why. But this is much more complicated than I originally thought when I started my research. I always accepted the conventional wisdom that was mainly some lone nut acting with the help of a couple of friends. Also arrested were Terry Nichols, who is serving life in prison now, and Michael Fortier, who was born in Maine, a lot of but he 40s. didn't live here. I think he moved when I he was a kid. That name. He moved to So, from so and the, he the, served 12 years. The common wisdom is that Timothy McVeigh was kind of like the, the Lee Harvey yeah. Lee Harvey Oswald yes. of the nineties. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist by any means, but I do think there is more to the story than we have been told. I watched the recent American Experience, Oklahoma City, from PBS about the bombing, which is excellent and has some great insights, but even that show kind of glossed over some of the questions that still are remaining about the bombing. And I want to apologize for not talking much about the victims' specifically, but it's hard when there are that many people, 168 people, and I'm going to focus on the crime and it, the criminal. It would take us all day to talk uh, about the victims. Uh, yes, but the American Experience documentary talks a lot about the victims and first responders and has a lot of... And we'll link it, to that. Uh, yes. It's, well, I had to watch it on uh, YouTube because if I went through PBS, it was $12.99, and I do not want to pay for it. it. It's so it, so it's I have a YouTube. PBS app. I won't be no. able to watch that on my app? I tried, no. I don't. Bastards. No, cuz it just came out in February. And it's pretty good, but it kind of I can't it kind of takes the FBI's story at face value. I don't know. I'll I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but it's just uh I I mean it did have a lot of good there were I would recommend it highly, but I just you have to do some other research too. But let's start by talking about the bomber, Timothy McVeigh. A young man, only in his late 20s at the time of the crime, he was a decorated U.S. Army veteran who served in the Gulf War. One of his awards was a bronze star medal. He earned several other awards. They had all these names... I don't know. It seems like it's just the kind of thing they're giving people to encourage them, you know. He was born either in Lockport, New York, or Pendleton, New York, depending on the source. He grew up in Pendleton, but uh, Lockport's right next to Pendleton. You know, it may be the kind of. He was born in the hospital there. Like how sometimes they say Carlton Fisk is from Vermont because the hospital was in Vermont, and we all know Carlton Fisk, the greatest catcher of all time in baseball, was born in New Hampshire. Okay. He just was I didn't the hospital. Know we in all know. I'm like, okay, I can say so. <laughs> the hospital was in no, Vermont because it was like. I'm re- just saying the, the hospital was in Vermont. Okay, but you say born to me when you say somebody's born somewhere. Yes. I'm sorry. This is a big newspaper issue. I have. You're talking about where they lived when they yes, were born. Yes. Okay. Not. So that's why a lot of people say Pendleton because that's where he grew up and that's in the buffalo it's it's in the buffalo area it's a little north of buffalo you know it's like a suburb of buffalo he grew up in pendleton raised by his dad after his parents divorced when he was 10 and some people say that that was oh his mother leaving caused him to it's always the mother's fault Mm. i don't think as we discussed in episode 18 he was a middle child two sisters he was close to his grandfather who passed on a love of firearms. He, Maybe that's what the problem. He was. even brought guns to school to impress people. Yes, this was the pre Columbine era. Yeah. When you could bring a gun to school. I mean school. when I was in high school they didn't bring guns, but people had rifle racks in their cars. Oh yeah. And also people would have hunting knives strapped to their yeah. to their belts and stuff. We couldn't do that nowadays. No. He was very interested in gun rights and liked magazines like Soldier of Fortune and Mm. Guns and Ammo. He graduated high school in 1986 and briefly, I think for like a semester, attended Bryant and Stratton College in Buffalo, which is a for-profit school. I looked it up. It started out as a business school Mm. and then now it's a college. It's like a chain of business schools. Although he was smart in school, especially with computers, and some accounts said he hacked into government sites with his Commodore 64. Although I'm so ignorant about computer shit, I don't know much about what was going on with computers back then or how even one could hack into sites because there was no Internet. I mean, there was kind of a loose internet, but it was in the 80s. I don't I'm sure our readers some, will tell us. Some, they're not readers, they're listeners. <laughs> That's right. I mean, they might be readers, too. But no isn't offense. that how like, like, Wozniak and those guys started messing around I don't know. and hacking See, around? I don't know. I, I think I heard that on a podcast once, yes. to tell you the truth. He was named Star Point High School's most promising computer programmer. Oh! Even, so he and his three nerdy friends. Yes. Yeah. Even so, his Sorry. grades were poor both in high school and college. I think he was just probably one of those people who was smart but lacked motivation. You know, he was interested in what he was interested in. Yep, yeah, I think you know. there's a lot of people like that. Yeah, they can't fit like into the probably. box. Around this time, he apparently discovered the book The Turner Diaries, a novelized memoir of a white supremacist anti-government guy (laughs) written by William Pierce and published in 1978. He wrote it under the pseudonym Andrew McDonald. Mm. The book tells of a violent revolution in the U.S., the results of which are the overthrow of the government, a race war, and a nuclear war. Mm. Pierce is the founder of the white nationalist organization called the National Alliance. Not surprisingly, in his book, all the people he doesn't like Jews, gays, anyone who isn't white are exterminated. Oh. Of course, all the anti-government gun lovers embrace this book. Yep. The Southern Poverty Law Center calls it the Bible of the racist right. Mm. And the I wrote, ha-ha, I wonder if there's a racist left. Is there? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. You never there could know. be. But they're so liberal, they don't know they're racist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the right. racist right. Anyway, McVeigh loved the book. Now, there are some people who say he was not racist, but I find this hard to believe. Uh, 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 because he hung out and befriended all these I'd white like supremacist to know, assholes. I, you know, I always feel like there's... Who's saying it? White there's people? There's absolutely no credibility to anyone who says... Anyone who's a racist isn't a racist. Well, listen if to this. That that. So some people say he was most interested in gun rights and hating the government. He wasn't interested in race. But I don't know about that because, for example, he when he was in the Army, he was reprimanded for wearing a white power t-shirt that he bought at a Ku Klux Klan rally. The rally, the Ku Klux Klan were rallying in protest against black service members who wore black power t-shirts like around the base. 15 things you just said in that sentence indicate he's a racist. I know. I mean, even if... He got a t-shirt and a Ku Klux Klan rally. It was a white power t-shirt. He was at a Ku Klux Klan rally, first of all. Right. He bought a white power t-shirt. Right. Then he wore it. Right. It's just like people who fly the Confederate flag and say, I'm not racist, it's because of the tradition. Well, it's a tradition of racism. After his lackluster stint in college, McVeigh decided to join the Army. He loved guns and he could play with them, so uh, I not? always think of that. Whenever some crazy gun nut joins the Army, I'll, I'll stop interrupting you in a minute. Mm-hmm. But No, you won't. I know. That's okay. I always think of Alice's Restaurant. You know, Shrink, I want to kill, <laughs> <I wanna laughs> kill. I want to kill. I want to see blood and gore. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, fun. Uh, he did well, uh, winning medals and awards for his shooting skills. He wanted to join the special forces after serving in combat for a couple of years, so he entered, he entered the selection process, but apparently wasn't in good enough uh, physical shape to qualify and dropped out after two days. Oh, come on, do some push-ups. I know. You well, want to bad on At the time, the Army was trying to cut costs and offered him the option of an honorable discharge, which he took. He worked briefly in the Buffalo area after getting out of the army, and he bitched to co-workers about the government. and he wrote letters to the editor. And the one that is often quoted has him saying, quote, "Is civil war imminent? Do we have to shed blood to reform the current system?" <laughs> I hope it doesn't come to that, but <laughs> it might end quote, everybody who's he could ever have run for president. I know. I know everybody who's ever worked for a newspaper, Knows this guy. Yeah, there were, he wrote we, lots. If you read the letters, to the other there's certain people I see their yes. names over and over. And there's always over and stuff again. like that. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, that guy again. He left the area around 1992, saying that Buffalo is too liberal. He traveled the country visiting old army buddies, going to gun shows and selling stuff at gun shows. Some places sell, said he sold uh, guns, but I think he also sold survival. You know, survival stuff. stuff. Yeah, and he sold like bumper stickers and crap like that he liked the gun shows because he met like-minded gun and anti-government types and they could whip each other up into frenzies Mm. he also visited a lot of militia groups after meeting members at various gun shows so he was he was enjoying himself i've never been to a gun show but with my ex-husband i used to go to these camera shows because he was a photographer and he liked to collect antique cameras and you wouldn't believe these big shows if you are not A collector of whatever it is the show you're going to, it is weird. And the Mm -hmm. people are weird. And they're all talking to each other, and you're just like, like they're talking another language, and you're just like, this is fucked up. So I can just imagine what a gun show would be like. Right, and also, a lot of people go to gun shows, and there's a big one in Augusta every year at the Civic Center, and a lot of people go to them because you can buy a gun at a gun show, it's the loophole. Right. The you gun can, show loophole. Right. The gun show loophole. He was unhappy with life. He was unable to forge any lasting relationship with women. I read that he only had one girlfriend, which I didn't think was that weird because he was only in his early 20s. I know. How many it girlfriends are you loomer. supposed to have? He, he he was not happy with the Army after washing out of special forces. And also, the Army had informed him that he had been overpaid to the tune of about $1,000 and had to pay it back. Uh-uh. So he already was disenchanted with the government, but that pissed him off really bad. It just bolstered his anti-government sentiment. He was also upset about the election of Bill Clinton, as a lot of them were, because Bill Clinton had campaigned on a gun control platform, and they did not want their guns taken away. Sometime during McVeigh's alt-right odyssey, (laughs) the Ruby Ridge incident happened. Ruby Ridge, Idaho was the site of an 11-day standoff between Randy Weaver, an anti-government guy and the US Marshal Service and the FBI. Ruby Ridge is a remote area near the Canadian border. I don't want to go into too much detail because we could do a whole show On about Ruby, Ruby Ridge. Ridge. Yeah. But the upshot is, the U.S. Marshals Service went to Weaver's home on August 21, 1992, to serve a bench warrant for his failure to appear in court on gun charges. A firefight ensued, leaving Weaver's 14-year-old son Sammy dead, and Deputy U.S. Marshal William Francis Deegan, age 42, dead. Also, the family dog was shot and killed. Aww. I don't know what breed it was. Sorry. Mm. I know. The FBI got involved because of the firefight and Weaver, his wife, he had, I think he had three remaining children, one which was a baby, and family friend Kevin Harris holed up in the home. Vicky Weaver, Randy's 43-year-old wife, was shot by an FBI sniper while holding their baby. I've read a 10-month-old baby and I've read a 14-month-old baby, but it was a baby. Yeah, A same baby difference. girl. And it was a mess from beginning mm-hmm. to end. They didn't need to go up there with that kind of force he was the first thing about it too is he was kind of entrapped he was arrested for selling sawed off shotguns but somebody had kind of entrapped him into like talked him into sawing off the shotguns and selling them to him an agent so it was kind of like you know it was fishy from the beginning and it just snowballed it, it was just it was a mess so of course Ruby Ridge became a rallying cry for all the people at the gun shows and other anti-government people and white supremacists that McVeigh was meeting nice. on his It's always Odyssey. nice how once in a while the government will do something like that just to give all these people something to focus was, on, you know? In fact, while McVeigh was selling his survival items and copies, he oh, he sold copies of the Turner Diaries too. Huh. Like they didn't already all have it Where, so, at the gun shows. He he was like buying them and then reselling them. I guess so. Who knows? It's a gun show. He was also he probably got yeah like illegal printings of it. And I don't know who published the Turner Diaries. Maybe it was self published. I don't know. (laughs) In fact, while McVeigh was selling his survival items and copies of the Turner Diaries at gun shows, he was also handing out free cards printed with the name and address of Lon Horiuchi, the FBI sniper at Ruby Ridge. He said he was hoping someone in the Patriot movement would assassinate horiuchi and horiuchi was later charged with manslaughter in idaho but mcfay also wrote hate mail to horiuchi saying what goes around comes around Mm -mm -mm. right now i want to stop and do a little like sidebar go off on a bit of a tangent to talk about another white supremacist robert j matthews bob matthews as he was known born in marfa texas in 1953 raised in phoenix arizona he joined the john Birch society at age 11 Mm. He became a Mormon during high school, which of course is a very, you know, welcoming to black people. About age 20, he was arrested for tax fraud. He claimed 10 dependents as an act of tax resistance. Oh, there's an idea. And he was on probation for 6 months. He left the Mormon church and the group, he had formed a group called Sons of Liberty that they disbanded. And so he moved to Washington state with his dad, bought land, got married and raised Galloway cattle. This was in the mid 70s to early 80s. 1982, he formed the White American Bastion and tried to get white families to move to the Pacific Northwest to kind of make it a, you know, just all white. Isn't the Pacific Northwest already full of white families? Yes. I'm sure there's lots of white people there, but there's also a lot of Native Americans there. He spent a lot of time at the Area Nation compound in Idaho and made lots of friends and gained followers. He, too, fell in love with the Turner Diaries. And what's not to like? I know. In 1982, he also founded The Order. With eight other men, a white supremacist group, and to raise money, they started robbing armored cars and counterfeiting. Over the next couple of years, they committed quite a few robberies, and a couple members of the group spent time in jail. The most brazen one was a robbery of a Brinks truck, which netted $3.6 million. And it was like in broad daylight, they shot through the windshield. Where was that? On the highway. It was somewhere in their northwest somewhere Mm. i didn't get the details because it was just i want to get an overview of him um they gave some of that money to other white nationalist organizations around the country and one of the guys who was in jail for counterfeiting ratted him and the order out and the fbi eventually tracked matthews to a house on whidbey island in washington state on december 7th 1984 this began a standoff that lasted until the next day when gunfire was exchanged and the FBI fired M79 Starburst flares into the house. I don't know what those are, but they're some kind of flare They sound explodes. bad. They ignited a box of hand grenades and a bunch of ammunition that he Damn. had stockpiled, uh. and they set the house on fire. He apparently continued to fire as the house burned, but ended up dying of smoke inhalation and burns. And I read that they found his body next to a bathtub, so he was probably in a bathtub full of water thinking that would help Hmm. him keep shooting. His death was probably the first of that era martyrdom and the cause of white supremacists, and it spurred a lot of recruiting. So by the time Timothy McVeigh got on the scene, it was a pretty... Big uh, movement, I think, pretty strong. It still is. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's worse now. The anti government white supremacy movement grew quite a bit during that time. In one of the articles I read that was printed pre Obama's election, it was like mid 2000s, said, oh, by the 90s it had slowed down quite a bit. Well, I think in 2008 it got a big Mm -hmm. boost again. Yep. And I don't know what the numbers are now, but I can just imagine. So back to Timothy McVeigh. While he was traveling around the country visiting old friends and making new ones, he decided to go to Waco where, in the spring of 1993, March of 1993, to be exact. A standoff had begun at the Branch Davidian compound, or Mount Carmel, as it was known. (laughs) A religious cult, the Branch Davidians were, that had branched off from the Seventh-day Adventists. Again, it's a long story. But the main point is, a lot of poor decisions were made by the ATF, which is the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, otherwise known as a fun party. (laughs) And the FBI. Oh, that joke never gets old. I know. In the first raid, four ATF agents were shot, and some people say by friendly fire, but I don't know. I don't believe that fully. uh, Because the Branch Davidians were well-armed. That's one of the reasons they were trying to raid them. Six Branch Davidian members were killed, too. At the end of the 51-day siege, 76 more people, 22 children under the age of 17, were dead. And because I, and the reason there were so many children there is because the Branch Davidians, like other cults we've discussed, had one guy who said, These "I'm the leader, kids. right? So I get to have sex with yes. everyone and he had lots of wives." And the, it, there's a lot of that's another one that there are. It's so. I can't even go into all the reasons... Yes. ...and things that happened, and that was a total fucking mess. Yeah, Janet Reno... Poor Janet... Janet Reno was told mistruths about what was going on, Mm -hmm. too, and she was new to the job... And, and she, she believed got, what she was told. Right. she got jerked over. She did. And I'm not sympathetic to religious cults or anti-government militias, but the whole incident no, was idiotic and un- unnecessary. And I know it's easy to say it after the fact, but even at the time people were questioning, well, they knew the Branch Davidians were tipped off, and they still did the raid, which well, was ridiculous. Just like a, a World Affairs, we too often respond to things with might and the response seems to be firepower and killing people rather than figuring out some better. The way they started it off, it started yeah. off bad, and it just right. got worse. They knew that they were tipped off. Right. When you read the FBI page, they paint that, because I read some info on the FBI about all of these incidents, just to see what their take was. Of course, they paint themselves in a the wonderful light. And even on, And that was one of the problems I had with the... With the PBS, with the American Experience documentary, they talked to a lot of FBI agents, which is fine, but they all tried to make it sound like that nothing they did was wrong and the and David Crush was evil, and I'm not agreeing with him with any of his, I don't agree with the fact that he was a cult leader and the whatever shit he did, but... It was pretty stupid to know that these people who are heavily armed know that you're going to raid them and you still go through with it. That doesn't right. make any sense to me at and all. So that's and the, that's what started the whole thing. Right. And so and so this is the American Experience episode about Oklahoma City. Yes, they talk but about But they that. talk about the branch. McVeigh, during the standoff, before the culmination of it, he decides to go... To and Waco, as any white supremacist would. There were tons of people. There was like just to check it out, just like at the at the Ruby Ridge one. They had a roadblock there, and there were all these people hanging around. They have film of them, like you're yeah! you know, they yelling at you know all the or, ATF agents and stuff, telling yeah. them that they're a, they're a disgrace to white people everywhere. There were a bunch of people, fucking weirdos, hanging up. They they um one of the reporters they talked to said that there was a it was a hill that was like about three miles away, but you could see the the compound, and that's where all the people were. And that's where Timothy, he was driving around the shitty car. He stopped there to sell bumper stickers, or anti-government bumper stickers. And they have a, a film of him talking. And I want to say there was one of the things I watched was a stupid, I think it was British, the narrator was British. So they, the guys that played Timothy, it was like had, re- re- Oh, they had a reenactment? Yes! An <laughs> American experience? No, no, no. It was another one I oh, watched. Oh, okay. They had reenactments and, um, the guy that played Timothy McVeigh, he looked a lot like him, but he had like a southern accent, which huh. is driving me fucking nuts. Yeah. But I think it's because, I think, no offense to British people. They didn't know the difference. I think that they think all Americans talk like, yeah. especially someone that's going to bomb. Somebody some, like from a white Buffalo, actually somebody from Buffalo, New York would have an accent very similar to ours. Yes, yeah. And Timothy McVeigh didn't have a southern because accent. Because we're not originally from Maine, we're originally from western New York. Yes, we are. With his very distinct accent. Yes, although ours is kind of messed up. <laughs> so anyways, he was there. He he went there, and there's a film of him talking, and a woman who was a college student, and she was a student journalist, interviewed him. The film of him, he's just spouting a bunch of anti-government bullshit. But it's funny because his demeanor is... Like, I saw uh, an interview with him with Ed... Bradley. Bradley. Thank you. I couldn't remember his name. On 60 Minutes. He has a very... Timothy Mugay has a very calm demeanor. Like, you know how on movies and stuff, there's... people who would do something like bomb like all crazy yeah and like giggly and and, or or wild-eyed right and he wasn't you know Uh, people lack imagination when it comes to depicting. and i'm not saying he was insane i think he had issues but he was whatever he's a fucking asshole but anyways when mount carmel caught on fire and the shit hit the fan he was not still in texas he was at his friend terry nichols house in kansas and mcveigh later said that he started crying watching it on tv thinking of the children who died Aww. which i find kind of ironic it's ironic considering what he, he fucking doing. killed him yeah The Brady Bill, which limits assault weapons, was passed soon after the Branch Davidian thing happened. And the gun people did not like this at all. It was further proof of the government taking away guns and infringing on their sacred Second Amendment rights. Damn government. Fucking Bill Clinton. Ah. Taking away the guns. around that time is when they started plotting. And I can't think of any better way to protest having your gun taken away than going and killing people. Yeah. You know, because that makes your point so well. Yeah. Well, you know, he didn't use guns. Oh, that's true. He blew them up. (laughs) It's not guns that kill people. No. It's It's the government. (laughs) I'm joking. I don't think that. We're just joking, people. Please. Apparently, he staked out a few places, but settled on the Murrah Building in Oklahoma City. He never really said exactly why, but there are several theories, of course, because people have to theorize. One was that, the, because the ATF had an office there and he thought that some of those ATF agents were involved in Waco. Did he have any ties to Oklahoma? No. You know, he blamed the ATF for what Although he probably drove through Oklahoma City between visiting Terry in Kansas and being in Waco. He may have. According to Michael Fortier and some other people, he staked out other places like Dallas and some other places, but there were reasons why. A lot of people thought it was because the ATF had an office there. Some people said he originally had picked the courthouse next door and was going to park in the underground parking lot that the two buildings shared, which would have been inspired by the World Trade Center bombing of 1993 not to be confused with the other one the other which wasn't really a bombing no the truck was too high to fit through the entrance Uh another theory i saw which is kind of i don't know kind of out there said that he picked the building because it provided good camera angles which would photograph well for television and he wanted his message to be known Hmm. so what happened was this a rider truck was rented in Junction City, Kansas. Timothy McVeigh, with the help of others or not, depending on the source, spent a week in Gary Lake State Park in Kansas assembling the bomb, which contained 4,800 pounds of explosives. Was he camping or something? No, he, was, mean, staying a, he was staying in a hotel, but they, but I don't know. He was staying in a hotel, or a motel, I mean, but he, maybe they, parked, they did the bomb there, not at the hotel. They probably had to go somewhere where they right. could work on the bomb. It was a bunch of uh, drums and they had like a they had like a diagram of it, but I couldn't figure it out because I'm stupid. On April 19th, he drove it to Oklahoma City, parked it, lit two fuses and walked away, letting it explode. A third of the building was demolished. The nine floors collapsed upon each other and a huge crater was blown into the street. And as I said, 168 people died. And wasn't the daycare center like right in the front of the building? He parked right in front of the da- where the daycare center was. Did, did he know that? He says he did not know. He claims he didn't know. I don't think he knew where it was. Although if he, had wa- if he had staked it out and walked into the building, which I don't know if he ever did, I think he just drove by and saw where it was. McVeigh claims he did not know children were in the building. But I think he he must have known that there were. I mean, he knew there'd be people in there. Why wouldn't there? There's a social right. security office. There could have been kids in there. Right. Um. Some other people have said he and Terry Nichols, his army buddy and convicted co-conspirator, knew but didn't care. And McVeigh later called them collateral damage. So yeah, anyways. he bought a piece of shit car that he parked near the bombing site. Had no license plate, and he used it for a getaway car was an old mercury Marquis yellow. Mm, mm, mm. A cop stopped him about an hour and a half after the bombing as he was driving down the interstate toward Kansas. He had a gun in the car, but no license to carry. And he told the cop he had a gun when he got stopped. He had no license to carry in Oklahoma, so he was arrested. He was in jail when the FBI figured out the identity of the bomber, so they were able to arrest him quickly. How did they figure out his identity? I will tell you. Okay. There was a lot of news about John Doe number two, which the FBI later said was a mistake, but some people think there was a John Doe number two. The FBI found the. This is how they caught him so quickly. I think it's serendipitous. At the time, I thought it was serendipitous, and I, I still do. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Right. I think they really did. This is how they caught him so quickly. Sometimes shit happens. The FBI found the rear axle of the rider truck in the wreckage that had the VIN on it. Not the VIN number. Thank you. The vehicle identification number, VIN. From there, they traced it to the rental place, which was in Junction City, Kansas. Um, they went there. They got a physical description of the guy, and they, they got one of those little... You know, drawings of his face. Composites. Which did look a lot like him. The FBI agents were can- were canvassing. Once they realized where the truck had been rented, and I- apparently Junction City looks like it's kind of a small town, they swarmed the area, canvassing all the ho- motels. They stopped at the Dreamland ho- Motel in Junction City, asked the manager if any guests were driving a rider truck. Why, Yes. She said, and they looked at the register, and he had signed his real name. What a dumbass. So it was basically just good old fashioned police. They did do. They, did, they did. Oh, God, that picture of the uh, firefighter with the. little girl. Yeah. The FBI were able to search arrest records. They wanted to see if, if this Timothy McVeigh had an arrest, any, you know, arrests or something like that. Had find a out, record. Had a record, and. Luckily, they found out he was in custody in Oklahoma, (laughs) and he was just about to get sprung. Wow. And when FBI agents picked him up, they asked him if he knew why they were there, and he said something like, does it have to do with the bombing? (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. Terry Nichols surrendered in Kansas the same day McVeigh was arrested and identified in the media on April 21st. Michael Fortier was also arrested, but agreed to testify in exchange for a reduced sentence. By the time the bombing happened, he was kind of out of the picture anyway. Even though he knew about it, he decided he didn't like what was going to happen. But he and his wife both knew and did not say anything or warn anybody. What was Fortier's um, role? He, He lived in Arizona. I think he helped with the planning but, um. He chickened out. He chickened out. I think he helped with some of the, um, recognizance, you know, when they were looking at different courthouses and stuff. Supposedly, Nichols was also having cold feet right before the bombing, Easter Sunday. McVeigh threatened to kill Nichols' family if he didn't help. And Nichols helped assemble the bomb, but didn't go to Oklahoma City. But I think, I think Nichols just said that about threatening to kill his family, because come on, is not going to do that. McVeigh eventually confessed to everything, drawing maps, answering questions, and taking credit for the whole thing. He was indicted on August 10, 1995, on 11 federal counts, including conspiracy to use a weapon of mass destruction, use of a weapon of mass destruction, destruction with the use of explosives, and eight counts of first-degree murder. Those eight counts were federal charges for the ATF officers. The other 160 deaths were under the state jurisdiction of Oklahoma. The federal government knew they'd probably get the death penalty, so I guess Oklahoma was just, like, fine. Right. McVeigh wanted to use the necessity defense, but they ended up not doing it because they could not prove he was in under imminent danger. So the necessity defense would be kind of like self-defense, like I'm trying to protect myself. L- like that's I'm that... I'm in imminent danger. Okay. I was going to say that's a, a defense, I think, and I could be wrong about this, that gets used a lot... When people kill doctors who perform abortions and stuff, yeah. because we're preventing many of us yes. from dying <laughs> by killing this it's kind person. of ironic. Yeah. As part of his defense, his team showed the anti-government film "Waco: The Big Lie." Mm. On June second ni- on June second, nineteen ninety-seven, McVeigh was found guilty on all counts of the federal indictment, and on June thirteenth, nineteen ninety-seven, the jury recommended the death penalty. While his unsuccessful appeals were pending. McVeigh was housed at the United States Penitentiary Administrative Maximum Facility, or ADX, in Fremont, Colorado. Mm. It's unofficially known as Florence ADX. McVeigh was housed in Bomber's Row with his buddy Terry Nichols. Oh, that's nice that they have a special little row Listen for to this. His buddy Terry Nichols, Ted Kaczynski... Oh, and the, who is the Unabomber? Yes, maybe someday we'll do. Oh, I want, I him. desperately want to do the Unabomber. And Ramsey Youssef, who was the World Trade Center bomber. Wow, oh. Youssef apparently made frequent attempts to convert McVeigh to it Islam. It's like a, it's a who's who. Of, I know. Also, there was some other gang member guy there, but he wasn't a bomber, so I didn't put him in the bombers row. In 1999, McVeigh was transferred to the U.S. Penitentiary in Terre Haute, Indiana. He decided to drop all remaining appeals, saying he'd rather die than spend the rest of his life in prison. He also claimed his objective had originally been state-assisted suicide, and he wanted his execution broadcast, but that request was denied. An internet company sued for the right to broadcast the execution, but that was unsuccessful. I remember that when they were they wanted to yes. do that. McVeigh was originally set to be executed on May 16th. 2001, but it was found that the FBI had withheld thousands of pages of documents to his defense team. U.S. Attorney General, John Ashcroft, ordered a stay of execution for a month, although I don't know really what the point of that was. I I mean, And I don't know how... So they could review the documents that they had. Yeah, Yeah, and see if there's anything in it. He was eventually executed by chemical injection on June 11, 2001. And do you know what his last meal was? Mint chocolate chip ice cream. Yes! And you know how I know that? Because I was just looking up pictures of him on my phone, and there were all these pictures of him with mint, and then juxtaposed with mint chocolate oh, chip really? ice cream. That's so weird. And do a Google search of Timothy McVeigh, and then do images, and all of a sudden you're getting pictures of mint chocolate chip ice cream. Interesting. And I was going to ask you what the deal was with mint chocolate chip ice his cream. That was two but pints of mint chocolate chip. And when they asked him if he had any final words, he he said no. Ah, He was the first federal prisoner put to death since 1963. Since him, there have been two others. Juan Ruel Garza, who killed three people and ran a drug ring in Texas. He was executed only eight days after McVeigh, June nineteenth, two 2001. And the third is Louis Jones, who kidnapped and murdered Army Private Tracy McBride. He was put to death March eighteenth, two 2003. And the next one will most likely be Zokar's not. Zna- Zarnev the remaining Boston Marathon bomber. Mm -hmm. Which also happened mid-April. Yes, it did. Because it it was on Patriot's Day. Because that's when the Boston Marathon is run. Timothy McVeigh is still the only terrorist ever executed in the U.S. But, again, Zarnev will be the second. And I don't consider him to be Islamic, even though a lot of people do. No, I consider consider him him to be a dumb kid who didn't know what the fuck he was doing and... Was easily influenced by his nuthead brother, who was but Isla- he was Islamic, but he's also a nutcase, and that's the problem. I put them in the the nutcase who picked something, right? When Timothy who McVeigh picked something to do. I don't think Timothy <laughs> McVeigh was as much of a nutcase. He was kind of obsessed. I don't think he was like I think the the San Bernardino bombers uh, or shooters too. I think of them as nutcases. Well, that it's almost like they're not in they're not like doing it because they're religious the religion has become the thing that they've obsessed about that's that's what i was going to say that they have whatever whatever personality defect or whatever they have they latch onto something that makes them feel important and gives them a cause and gives them a rationalization for doing that thing and if it weren't Islam in their case, in Timothy McVeigh's case, well, white some people supremacy and anti-government. I right, like that guy that was anti-abortion and shot people. I mean, right. they picked something. It's John Salvey. Right, and it's not necessarily, they're not, maybe I'm splitting hairs, but it's not like, oh, this, this person is a poster child for terrorism of this ideology. Yeah, It's more like, this person has a personality defect where they wanted this kind of, Power and attention, and this is the thing they latched yes. on to and convinced I, themselves I was the reason to do it. And now, uh, uh, there was I read it, and I didn't really talk about it much in my presentation, but there was an article in Vanity Fair in 2001 really after McVeigh that. by yeah. Gore Vidal. He and Timothy McVeigh had a correspondence. McVeigh mm. wrote to him in 1998 while he was in prison because Gore Vidal wrote some anti-government article i can't remember now that mcveigh wanted to talk about and they didn't agree on a lot of things but they agree corvidal has a lot of good points he goes a little too far i think he was a little too sympathetic of mcveigh but he didn't oh, go, oh ahead. go ahead but he also no i can't remember what i was, gonna, I was say. gonna say you know what that makes me think of and maybe you'll remember what oh in um, cold blood yes mm-hmm. of truman capote corresponding with perry smith yeah in cold blood and um got and, a, pi- getting a good book some, uh, but Gore Vidal was convinced that there were other people involved he didn't think that Timothy McVeigh did it himself and I read a, another article in the Guardian that had a lot of good points what they were saying was first of all they thought that the car he left there was not meant to be a getaway car because he took the license plate off he had like a bunch of like stuff planted in the car like anti-government tracks and stuff that they thought that it was meant to be left there as kind of a red herring, oh. but whoever was helping him left, like abandoned left him, him, and he took in off. The lurch. And that some of the things that they brought up made sense. There were some other things like a ride, another rider truck. Of course, it could be a coincidence. There was another rider truck circling around an uh, an hour before, and also a lot of the people that said they saw McVeigh with the rider truck in, near Junction City had seen two rider trucks, and they had mm. also seen like five people. He had been seen with other people a lot. And there was probably other people uh, helping him assemble the bomb, right? Besides Although he Terry Nichols, of, he could have, you know, gotten people to do different parts. But of there things. were some people that were identified as the known white supremacists. You know how they keep people on the right. radar. But I think what you were saying earlier—I think you said earlier when we were—we weren't—we were off tape—was that maybe they didn't want to know, right? they could open a can of worms. Right. They wanted to, especially after after Waco. That was such a mess. They wanted to We wrap got a it guy. Up. We like got a guy. Yep. He's saying he did it. He's saying it was him. And we it, can forget about some of this other and stuff I that we have questions about. It's wrapped up, it's done. And I think there's a resistance and I you know, I don't I don't know about this in a lot of detail, I admit. But my I feel as though there's a resistance to wanting to know too much about domestic homegrown yes. Yes. Terrorism. It, if we, if the boogeyman doesn't look like us and comes from somewhere else and has some religion that we don't understand, it's much easier to pursue it and yes. focus on it and and get what you want if you're the FBI to get the resources you need and people behind you than it is to start poking around in white national supremacy, all or alt right America, which. Even 20 years ago was a tough cookie, and now, given the political climate, Cut. you're talking about people and who... And, you know, um, another thing, remember how rider trucks used to be yellow, and mm. after that, they changed the color of them? Now what are they? I thought they They're seem, white. Oh, they are? Or vice versa. Yeah. Whatever it was, they... They were yellow. The rider yellow. trucks got... So, yeah, they were yellow, and they got such a bad rap, yeah, from that I know. that because, they changed them to white because twice. that Yusuf <laughs> guy, the guy from the, he used a Ryder truck in too. the nineteen ninety three yes. World Trade yes. Center. Yes. Yeah, they were like the the, the truck. Of I remember Gordon, of of my my ex husband Gordon, and I making that joke. Ooh, yeah. Ryder truck. That should be their new <laughs> right. right their, that, new, their, their new logo. logo the choice or, or of bombers ride. everywhere. Uh, but the other thing I was, haha, t- ha, we can laugh. I know. And I remember either reading an in depth, maybe even a book, or seeing a documentary that focused on like the last minutes before the bomb went off and tell me if you know any of the details about this McFay. There's something about him stopped at a stoplight and somebody he he almost felt like somebody was watching him too much and something about him smoking a cigarette that I don't even remember. But that he might have parked the truck not where he had intended to? Well, he tried, or, okay, no, the, what happened what I, just, what I read in probably the Guardian article was saying he was going to park it underneath and he couldn't fit and so then he was going to park it in an alley between the courthouse and the and the Murrah building and there were ATF agents doing something there and they were parked there so he couldn't park it there and he got antsy and then he parked it on the street in, okay. and in front of the building and that was under the daycare, but I don't think he knew that that, that, that was under the daycare. I mean yeah and I'm not saying that he I think he did know there were probably children in the building and my guess didn't is, give a shit my guess is a young single man is going to be one of the last people in the world who's going to say gee they may have a daycare center in this building full of kids although he was crying over the wake kids so well that was a that was a you and know it's just funny a vague. How they embrace them because that was a, a multi ethnic group of people they they only embrace them because, because the government did something bad too. yeah and they were and they, they only embrace them they love guns too they only embrace them because the choice was because they wanted to have a reason to just. according the to some of the other that stuff i read too gore vidal had a lot of stuff and so did the guardian article about people knowing that it was um somebody had that the problem was the atf and the fbi were not talking to each other they weren't that sounds stupid they weren't talking but they weren't in communication with each other and apparently one of them had gotten a tip from some white supremacist some there was a mole or some a woman um in one of the she was in one of the white supremacist groups i think she was an fbi agent and she warned them that that someone was planning a bombing in oklahoma in April. She knew it was going to be sometime in April. They did not inform the ATF about it. And there was a lot of anecdotal stuff like that, that, well, someone knew this and someone knew that and no one told anyone. So, and there may have been, I mean, there probably, if he was planning, it sounded like when he was going around the country, like he started formulating this plan and I don't know if he was the, I think he probably was the mastermind, but he, he had a lot of help. I think a lot of people knew about it because he was trying to recruit people to help him mm. so people knew about how do you it how recruit somebody for that well when you're in these white supremacist groups yeah that's groups. true I hate the government well no, I'm going to do this bombing you want to help me oh I don't know one of the things that always struck me about it was he did all this planning about the bomb and shit well he was so stupid about things maybe like, he thought he was going to maybe he thought he was going to die with maybe he huh. was going to kill himself well or maybe somebody was supposed to spirit him away right. and they spirit weren't there him. I mean I mean, that's all I can think of. Like, why would he? Like, he wouldn't have but taken you, why that car do you sign without a your real name. Like, that was stupid. Unless uh, you are gonna die. That's in why. It. If he thought it was, maybe he thought there was a but, chance he was gonna die. That could be. But even if you just think there's a chance, if you're intentionally gonna die, yeah, put your real name because you want everybody to know. Hey, I'm the. Guy who yeah. did this, but if and you think w- there's a chance I could die, you don't put your real name. I know that was kind of weird. You know, it just seemed like he had all this. Well, it just shows. he, know, he I had don't all think this. He would have gotten caught, right? away. I all mean, this it, thought process and planning that went into the bomb, but not a lot into the stupid details. Yeah, like don't, don't you know name. the truck isn't gonna fit? I know. I know, you that, know? Was, that was stupid. I mean, it, it just shows that you know he staked out the building. He planned. I it. I know. I know. You know, it just shows you know a lot of hell. You can't criminals think Criminals trip themselves up on stupid shit. Gore Vidal kept saying how in- intelligent he was and stuff, which he, I'm sure he was, but he also was y- You a know what? So what? That fucking. You know what? So what if he was like, smart? Yeah, know. You know, I hate it when that is used as this like, positive thing to say about somebody. Being, you know, people are smart, people are dumb, whatever, so what? Yeah, he was so lacking what? He empathy. wasn't smart he was... enough not to put his fucking name. I know, I know. He wasn't smart enough to know the truck wasn't going to fit under the building. Who gives a shit how smart he was? You know? But it is, He's it just is smart enough to kill a bunch of people and get himself caught. It's interesting to me Sorry. that for nine eleven. That was the worst act of terrorism It killed the most people in our country. And it wasn't... And remember, right after they thought it was some... They, the, are the they immediately said... And I got in a big argument before with Before McVeigh them. was caught... It was immediately yes. assumed. I remember that. Yes, I um, got in a big argument with somebody about this. Somebody so who, did is, I. who is somebody who's very pro-Israel argued with me that that never happened. And this was in the 90s. This person argued with me. He said they did not. They did not detain Middle Eastern people. I'm like, they sure they as did. hell did. They did before. And they, they... they show the clips on the on the yes. Ameri- on the documentary. Yes. The, the, and saying, I remember it has Islam written all over. It. And right, I remember that being pissing me off. That that, that, the immediate assumption was it was a Middle Eastern... And, you know, some of the conspiracy theorists, which I think is stupid, have a theory that somehow McVeigh teamed up with Islamists... To do this crime, what a and pile like of bullshit. bullshit! He would, they wouldn't have anything to do with some Middle that Eastern would, person. That would, that would totally miss his point. The point he was trying to make. He was trying to start a he race, wa- war. race war. A, he said he wasn't not really a race war no. because he wasn't. His focus supposedly wasn't racism; it was anti-government. He right. wanted a re- like to, a re- revolution. He wanted a revolution, and in the Turner Diaries, the guy blows up a. A federal building, or not a yeah. federal building, a courthouse or the White House or so. I don't know. See, people talk about how smart people like that are, but I'm like... You know, Everyone, there's a shit lot of smart did? people around. Yeah. So, so fucking so what? Yeah. And that was, I think, part of the inspiration, and I could be wrong, for the <laughs> Columbine boys. The, it they, they said that they were going to do it. We, they we were going to do it on April it 19th, 1999. And then they decided to get more ammo. So they did it on April 20th, but which was Hitler's birthday. Yeah, so they figured that was was a good because you have to do it on a special day if you're going to go shoot a bunch of people for no good reason. April's not a good month. It's the cruellest month because, as Tennyson, as I think, what else happened in April? Didn't that um, I was born? Yeah, that. Yeah, but I remember because I when Hannah was born. I was recuperating. It was, It's a long story, but I had to recuperate, and I was at mom and dad's house watching TV constantly. And that was when that oil tanker in the Gulf exploded. Oh, it was yeah. April. And that, but March was when there was <laughs> when there was that, that. A lot happened in that month or so. I was cold. Yeah. March. Uh, that earthquake and tsunami happened oh, in yeah. Japan. Wow. It was 2011. Yep. That thing exploded in April, and then it just spurted oil for what? In the six months, yeah, God only knows Just what happened. Coated the Gulf, and then with... Charlie Sheen thing happened. Is that it when that happened? Around that time, March. Well, April. it was because I was watching it on TV. It was entertaining. Well, that must have been 2010 because no, April it was 2011. Okay, it was after because Hannah was born. Okay, because April 2011 is when I left the Union Leader and moved back to Maine. I think my last day there was April 15th. No, Charlie was the was the like March. Right, because I said yeah. I cut out that quote because I identified oh, with it. Oh, the no, winner. not not winning. You can't, you can't under, possibly, possibly under, understand my brain. Hey, Charlie, you have to tell us what that. Quote and was. I identify with, with, with Charlie Sheen, but we're we're good enough. I like Charlie you know, Sheen. I mean, uh, I don't I used like to say a, a lot um, of his. Here, here's one of the things I always the used way used to say, he treats women. No, I, I know like, there's a lot of things I don't like. I think he's misunderstood in some ways. Not Way I, he women. I don't take him well. I didn't take most of what he was saying seriously. Right. I think he was just but, saying shit and for people, the hell of it, but like we do, like we do. Well, I was going <laughs> to say one of the things that I was never that never made me popular at work. <laughs> my sense of humor. I would say like I'd make a joke that nobody would get, or people would deliberately pretend they didn't get because they didn't want to give me the benefit of laughing. And I'd say, oh, yeah, I forget, I have to dumb myself down. No. <laughs> oh! <laughs> You know, but it's just being funny. Yeah, but, you know, uh, it's hard. It's hard being. So that was a good so topic. topic. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about I it? I can't remember. There's a lot of things. I mean, there's there's so much information. I, I feel like not. you know what. One thing I've always felt about this is people forget. People, oh, I know what I wanted to say. Yes, people okay, I was going to make a big point. Oh, okay. Go ahead. You say your, it was your topic so you can say No, uh, first. one thing that irritated me in this documentary is the cluelessness of many of the uh, people Talking Heads that they had, and there was one guy. I hate fucking Talking Heads. It's all mad. Like the FBI. Agents, de- 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 I, you know, come on. Yeah. There's one guy that was like the sense of you know we all you know when we saw who when we finally saw who the bomber was we were all saying it was one of us. The sense of betrayal. Well, and yeah, I'm like. Your head- your ass. He wasn't one of. of I did not think he was one in the of world, us. The fucking FBI shouldn't feel betrayed he because an, a white no, American. He wasn't an FBI oh, agent. Oh, no, what never he's mind. saying is, as a white American, he felt betrayed because it was one of our own. It's like it was one of your own. I felt. I was like, no shit. It was some fucking white supremacist, not a Muslim. That's what I thought yeah. when they caught him. I thought oh. figures. Well, is what I thought. Well, and that's one thing that people are so shocked. Ooh, an American would do this. And I think if you add up all the, all the death, (laughs) and all the, all all the unnecessary, all the violent shootings in America, very few of it is by people who aren't from America. Or aren't white. I know. Well, look at all the post office shooters from our episode <laughs> ab- about going postal. <laughs> and They're and all mean, just all of them. You think of the mass uh, shooters. I don't want really to get into a big race thing here, but I... But, but, but also, the more... Well, no, I was going to say, the, first of all, the more people are ooh, shocked by the fact that it was, you know, a guy who quote-unquote looked like any one of us or was one of our own or whatever, that as long as people think like that... Shit like this is going to happen. I know. And the fact that it was—it's aside from nine eleven, the biggest, the most deadly act of terrorism on U.S. soil. And people have kind—I'm not. People haven't necessarily forgotten about it, but people equate like I know the Boston Marathon bombing was bad. Yes. And I know it only happened four years ago, so it's still fresh in people's mind. And I know three people died, including an adorable little boy. Um, who had that sign at school that said, Can't we all love each other? And he was just an adorable, sweet little boy and two women who were good people. And a lot of people lost limbs. But... Oklahoma City, holy fucking shit! I know, I know. and I'm not saying, oh, we should, we, you know, compare which is worse, blah blah blah. But when you look at those pictures, Oklahoma, yeah. I mean, I mean, for for emotional value, yeah, Boston Marathon was bad because of all the thousands of people there and the, the potential for a yes. lot of people getting killed, and it had an impact. On so many people cuz so many people are there it had an emotional impact on so many people people who ran the marathon you know i ran the marathon and four it times and there was patriots day yeah but i feel like people forget how bad that was bad the okay i want everybody who's listening to the, this to google oklahoma city look bombing and do images look and at look the at the images. way that fucking building there was the, oh, look there at was a the fireman carrying the baby with and there's, the, there, there was baby. a um, they were talking to a guy um i think he was a doctor the first responders called him because there was a woman a young woman whose leg was pinned under a beam or something and he said when he got there and this was right after you know he had to amputate her leg and i thought i thought of you because of love your book. my book that i'm writing yes so, and you so you should watch it even for just this. So he oh, said will. he went through. It was very difficult to do. He had to do it. That's a big bone it. there in your thigh. Um, and he they were also worried that the it was still precarious. It was very it was like the the yes. building would tumble yes. down. He said there was someone holding the beam so it wouldn't move. And he went through all his blades and they all broke. And he had a pocket. He had a knife in his pocket. He had to use that to cut the last whatever How? it is. Well, she was... Asleep. She, I mean, he gave her anesthesia. He was a doctor. Yeah. But still, I thought, ah. I mean, and the, that's the type of... The, I mean, it was horrible. All those little babies. I mean, they were babies. They were babies. It was it, was horrible. Horrible. it was a daycare center. It was a daycare center that a lot of people who worked in the building Ugh. brought their children to. So they were right there when it happened. Or they were hurt themselves or you know it's the kind of thing where holy shit this building just blew up and my baby is where oh. it blew up not that i know no there was a mother on who who lost her two children that said and that You just look at the memorial right with there. the chairs i know that they have even i know uh, it was hor- it was a horrible thing and you're right i think that people forget people forget how bad it was it's easy to- i think people would rather focus on the boogeyman who isn't like quote unquote like us because we're all different? And the fact that he was put to death so quickly, yes, um, kind of gets there it out of your mind. Someone, it's over with, right? And and I think people would rather focus on this amorphous, you know, like the the Muslim ban, and people would rather focus on people who are different because it's a theme we've talked about in a lot of our episodes. Nobody wants to believe that someone who's like them could do something bad. And if you put people who do bad things in a totally different category and make them they're not the same as you, they're not like you, they're different, yes. and you can see them, you, you can recognize them. Yeah, when you, you, think see, you can them. see them. Yes, you can. Yeah. Yeah. Look at Ted but, Bundy. But the other thing is, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the stranger beside me, yeah. but the other thing is that I didn't really talk much about, I mean, he was in the middle, all three, he, Terry Nichols, and Michael Fortier, they were all soldiers. They all fought in our army. Supposedly, they fought for our country, and yet here they are, and we're paid around, by the government. And here they are turning around and attacking our country. Yep. The thing is, the same things that make you a good soldier make you a bad citizen in some ways. In some ways, because you look, it, I think I want to kill. I want to kill. kill. <laughs> I want to kill. I love that in Alice's restaurant. Right. He's too crazy. <laughs> are you saying I'm too crazy? But he, no, it's because he had a littering conviction. <laughs> yeah. But that he couldn't go in the army. Because yeah. when he goes, I want to kill the shrink. goes, he's our boy. He's our boy, yeah. <laughs> but the... No, I lost my train. Oh, I think most of the people who go into the military do it for honorable reasons. Oh, yeah, they do. But I think it also attracts somebody who says, I like guns. I want to be able to shoot things. And uh, and and are attracted even to the way of life Although to that regiment. Th- one of the th- one of the things that disenchanted uh, McVeigh to the government was the war he was involved in. He did kill people while he was a soldier, and he didn't see the point of it, and didn't see the point of the war. Which would that be which that, which would be almost make you sympathize with him until you realize he blew up a bomb that killed what 168 people. Uh, and he didn't, he was <laughs> not remorseful. None of whom did anything He wrong. did not, he was not remorseful at all. I think he just lacked, he totally lacked any... How can any he call, education. how can he be pissed off at the government uh-huh. for for sending him to a war that he thought was pointless and he had to kill people that were pointless and then call babies that he killed with his fucking bomb collateral damage? Because uh, he felt he was in... Because he was saying, right. He Yes, uh-huh. because he was fighting for a re- he had a reason for it uh-huh. uh, in his mind uh-huh. that... He was fighting this war against the everybody who kills somebody. To take away our everybody guns. who kills somebody from the government killing people with the death penalty has a to wars. Everybody thinks they're the guy is the dentist could. that has a hot girlfriend and doesn't want to pay alimony. Right, that's a good reason. Right, <laughs> I don't know. yeah, I mean, he thinks it's a good reason. A lot of doctors and dentists. I like that I one. Cause We're watching Dateline. Yeah, I was saying to you today in a text because I read a story in the paper today where the guy is who killed oh, his yeah. pregnant wife my love nugget, or and he called he... yeah he texted his girlfriend and said I'm gonna be with you my little love nugget or whatever uh-huh. he killed his pregnant wife he's on trial Wouldn't but ask. that we should and he was found a superficial and a whole different story but I'm saying we should do an episode guys that kill their wives and, are and found then, with superficial wounds yeah like Charles Stewart pregnant wife. who Wasn't was famous Charles wife pregnant oh yeah she was she was Damn. pregnant women. The biggest cause of death for pregnant women in America is is homicide. Wow, we really got off topic. We did. <laughs> okay, so anyways, that is our. Top. Well, thank you. That was a good topic. Yes, and please I'm gonna... send your your complaints to me. Yeah, at, to us to us. At please complain. And and oh well, we have, we usually do Matt, that at the end. Matt but... isn't here. Matt's protesting against Matt's. Us. He's. We shouldn't say stuff like that because people are gonna think Matt doesn't no, like us. he, he loves he us. He just had to take. He, he's well, no, got some we have stuff. we have tough schedules yes, for our us schedules to all the three of up. us to get together. Yeah, but Matt will be back soon. We don't all live in the same house together. We were kind of even like though a some dynasty, people think we do, but like a dy- yeah. we were thinking at one point of getting, having our brother Billy be our like stand and ask a lawyer. I but don't know. Uh, That, that might would be too rough. Much to take. I don't think our listeners could. For our listeners, yes. Sorry, Billy. Uh, maybe sometime we can have Sometime we can have Billy stand in for us. So for we're going to go. So that's the end of our topic. <laughs> and then okay. we're going to go right to our recommendations. Yes. <laughs> for our recommendation tonight, we're going to talk about our most recent favorite podcast. That isn't this podcast. Oh, well, besides, a, besides this one. Because this one this is po- our favorite. We yeah. listen to it over and over again. I know. <laughs> Till I want to kill myself. No. But we both listened to S-Town, yes. which is actually Shit Town. Yeah, Shit Town. And I made a point, since since I wanted to listen to it cleanly and only finished listening to it today, of not listening to anyone else in podcast world talk about it. Because I didn't want to be influenced by any other opinions. So our discussion today is going to be... I listened to it all in pretty much in one... Sitting. When you were driving to, Rochester? yeah, I had to drive to Rochester for my aunt New Kathy's York. funeral. Rochester, New York. It was about a nine-hour trip, so I was able to listen to you, the whole thing. You podcasted. I listened uh, to that. I listened to Missing Richard Yes, and I listened to some other stuff too. Yeah, but we're today we're going to talk about Shit Town. Yes. And if you haven't listened to it, there's, there's going to be spoilers. spoilers yes. So, so if you don't like spoilers and intend to listen to it, as much as I hate to say this, you might want to not listen yeah, to us. On the other hand, our discussion always ends up being so fractured. And, and diffused. And, yeah, that, that maybe it won't make sense. So what was your overall impression? I really liked it. And one of the things I liked may be one of the things that people won't like and that's, I started out listening to it, assuming it was going to be a true crime podcast. Yes, and I think a lot of people did because it was a serial. And very shortly in, I think one. the second episode, he found out the thing he was looking into, had not happened. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, there's five more now episodes, what? so what's he going to talk yeah. about? And then I thought, okay, maybe there's going to be some twists. There's going to be some other crime. I mean, there's a lot of things with the guy. But it turned out what it was was a character study of... A person, and I know that doesn't sound like something that could sustain, sustain seven-hour-long podcasts, but it was... He's a very complex... He. Was I found it fascinating. Person. I didn't want to stop listening. I usually listen in the car, driving to work, and since my work is only 15 or 20 minutes away, I would hate turning it off. Yeah, I was glad that I could listen to the whole thing in succession. And he, I think he does a, a very good job of... I think the overriding theme is that it, this guy supposedly hated his little town in mm-hmm. Alabama, but he was of that town. And you find out as you go along that he didn't always hate the town. Um, he helped because it wasn't an actual town, it was part of another town, or and they it was broke, broke off, unincorporated and, which and maybe. you find out toward, in the Seventh episode or sixth it episode? Six, it was six, the seventh. Or or it was sixth. the seventh episode. You find that out. Yeah. So but, he he and he helped incorporate. And he's it. a very interesting person. He was a horologist, which is someone that restores restores, restores clocks, antique, clocks. antique clocks. And apparently, it's a lucrative business. But he he, he lived. He was kind he of eccentric. Lived very frugally he lived with he his mom who dementia, and he was obsessive about climate change and things. He was obsessed with, with the state of the world, climate change and government And I issues. think a lot of that was, first of all, I think he was interested in that stuff, but I think it was also a lot, a lot of it was just his anxiety and a metaphor for how he felt about Every, yeah, his, his life. life. I think his his life was really a struggle between, I think, the affection he actually felt for his town yes. and where he was from and his roots there. And the fact that he was eccentric, he was different. He was very, very intelligent, probably genius. And level. he, but unlike Timothy McVeigh, he didn't feel the need to go blow anything up he except was for himself. More for himself, yeah. But he, but I think he never found a good way to come to terms with who he was. He mm-hmm. was gay, who he was, and he where he lived. And and I just want to say one thing before, and then I'll stop. Yeah. and you can talk. Is that I really like the way the guy who did the podcast, Brian Reed, played it out. The reveals were parceled out in a way, like about the fact that John was gay, about the things that came in the last two episodes particularly. So it gave it this framework. That yeah, really, you already knew, yeah. That really worked. You knew enough about John and what was going on that you can now know this and you can put it yeah. in some context, yeah. like about the town being incorporated yes. and the work he yes, did, because about his friendships, yeah. which it, kind of in the middle of the pod, the middle episodes started becoming more clear yes. about how he handled his friendships and what happened with those. And so, what did you well, think? Well, no, I I loved it. It's one of those things you keep. Th- you think about. It's like a book, or I kept um, thinking it was a book when I wasn't listening it to it. W- it's like a book with characters. You um, think in. H- he's obviously the protagonist, and Tyler is is a his pseudo son is also a big character in the book. and uh, the book in the podcast, you think like the way the thing I liked about it is you keep changing your. Your your view. A, view or your opinion. Like you think one thing about Tyler and then you realize he's he's racist like a, a lot of the other people in that town, which gives you, you know, it's like mixed feelings about it because in some ways he's a good person who cares about John. He cares about John's mother. But in other ways, he's... he's well, Tyler's he's, another person that if he had maybe been born in a different place or time, would have been a different person. Yeah, part because of Because he obviously has some intelligence and a way of looking at the world that's different from some of the people in the town. Yes. But mm. he's still of the town. And and then when the, when John's cousin, Rita, shows up, you think, well, Money The Grubber. evil cousin, Money Grubber. And then it, you meet her, and she's not. And it, it plays with your assumptions. But you also have to have to remind yourself when you're listening that every person is a three-dimensional person that has a lot of different sides to them, and you can't just assume from this one view of them that they're this certain type of person. And all the people in it, I thought, were, were not either bad, bad or good. They were, and, and I thought he did a good job of being kind of removed the from reporter. the reporter. reporter, yeah. What was his name, Brian Reed? Brian Reed. He he was the narrator, definitely, but he was a little bit... He was kind of outside of things, telling us about... Right, you know, he, didn't get, he didn't get in, He befriended involved. these people he without being involved. Like yes. He didn't try, for instance, to give somebody money when they needed it and didn't know what they were going to yeah. do, or anything like that. In fact, one in the 6th or 7th episode, he said to Tyler... You know, if you find all that gold everybody thinks is buried in John's yard, you better, yard, not, you better tell, not tell me. Because yeah, I'll tell everybody. Because I'm gonna tell everybody yeah. about it. And then Tyler asked them to turn off the microphone and And then you find out things that that are some of the things are hard to hear, but I thought that overall it was well written and it was well crafted. Um, what I liked about it too is that Brian Reed didn't feel the need to explain himself when it didn't turn out to be originally yeah, John yeah. contacted he didn't say, oh, him. Sorry, didn't no, know. well, originally when John contacted him, it's because John wanted him to find out all the shit going on in Shit Town and that this son of a wealthy uh, prominent local family K-K-K had killed KKK lumber, KKK lumber, <laughs> ha had killed another kid and gotten away with it. And that's what Brian started yes. looking into. And it became apparent, I think, in the second episode that didn't happen. But he didn't feel. And this, one of the issues I had with missing Richard Simmons is I felt the, the guy doing it felt this need to rationalize and over explain yes. why he was doing it. And my feeling is it's an interesting story. Don't feel you have to keep yeah. explaining. Yeah, don't apologize or, or for yourself. over. Just do it. over Thinking yeah. why, and one thing I like about this is Brian Reed never said I'm doing this because or this changes what where this podcast was yeah. going or blah blah blah. He just did it and he used the the whole thing about the antique clocks to kind of frame yeah, so as a metaphor, of a metaphor that worked really well yeah. and sundials because because the the clocks. No, I can't remember. And, well, it's I was like what's a it. life? It's time. Time passing by, yeah. and what happens as time passes, and what does anyone's life really mean? And it can be kind of depressing, depressing. when you think about, just it. about it. But I have a feeling, and not having listened to or read anybody's reaction to this at all, literally have not, I have a feeling that there are people who are dissatisfied or unhappy or feel that it didn't deliver because it was done, people that maybe think Bait and Switch or something. Right. It was yeah. done by the same production team that did Serial. Yes. So I think... But to me, one of the great things about podcasts is it's seven episodes. It can just be what it is. It is what it is if you don't like it. Right. And it's a really good... What, I what think, are you going to do about it? You didn't pay for it. I think yeah, <laughs> it's true. But I think, no, if you appreciate a good story, a good character study, yes. what makes people... And tick. it's beautifully done. Uh, and I wanted to See talk how I about said what makes people tick. Yeah, and, and music uh, uh, yeah, I get it. I never knew that sundials had those sayings on them. I know. I thought that was very, and that they're all kind of cynical and, and depressing. Very depressing. No, what I wanted to say about John D. John B. B. Oh, that's John right, Brooks. Jim Brooks, that's right. And his last name was Mick... Macklemore. Macklemore. He's a fascinating person. I think he was frustrated with living in the town, but he loved the town. I don't want to g- well we I don't want to give away gonna, too much. Yeah, but we did say we we're going to have spoilers. But I think he had not only I think he he did probably suffered from depression suffered definitely he was he was repressed as a homosexual he couldn't really live his life and i think that 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 comes out when they're talking to that i think he was desperately lonely yeah he was desperately lonely but he also didn't know how to connect to people correctly and he had i think he had very low self-esteem i think his self-esteem was so low he felt that he had to do things to... He had to manipulate people to make them stay with him when he really didn't. I think Tyler really cared for him. And one of the sad things is, once he... Here's the big spoiler. Big spoiler, turn it off. But once he kills himself, and you find this out fairly early that he kills himself, I think episode... The end of episode two or three. He does say someone ends up dead, and I assumed it was But he... How many people really cared about him? And I think... They made it obvious that they to him that they cared about him, he but I didn't think he was it. unable he couldn't accept when you're, accept. De- when you're de- but when you're clinically depressed too, you don't believe it no, and I also think when you have low self esteem or just feel like a square peg all the time. You but don't He had a lot it. of things. It, he, there yeah. was a lot of things, I think, in his life that were going against him. And I also think that he had some physical issues. Yes. Um, due to chemical exposure. Mercury poisoning. Mercury, I think he did. And, you know, it's funny. It reminded me of a friend of mine in high school, her, her mom's boyfriend. And I think he did die. He claimed somebody poisoned him with mercury. And he had lo- he did lose a ton of weight. And there he was, was one crazy. in. Oh, now now I'm thinking there was one in New Hampshire. Too. And I don't know Shit. if he actually if he lied and told us he was poisoned with mercury. But he was her mother had this boyfriend. <laughs> he used to give us. Okay, we're teenage girls. He, he this man was I think he was younger than her mom, but her mom she had a young mother anyway. He used to give. Do you want to name names? No, he used to give us. I can name his name. His name was Bud. He used to give us pot and stuff. I don't know why. I mean I do because he's a sleaze bag, but he never tried anything that I know of. But he told us that somebody had put mercury in something, his food or something, and he was dying of it. And I think he did end up dying. I'm gonna have to ask her. And and this is what I was remembering. And he did lose a lot of weight and was skinny. This is he what was I was an remembering. Asshole. There are so many things. I mean, New Hampshire's a small state, but I worked for a newspaper there for 25 years. So there are so many things. And and I just, when you said that, I remembered <laughs> there was something in New Hampshire about mercury poisoning. I look it up. This woman, Karen Wetterhahn, was a professor of chemistry at Dartmouth College, ah, and she specialized in toxic metal exposure. She died of mercury poisoning at the age of 48 ah. due to accidental accidental exposure to the organic mercury compound dimethylmercury. Dimith, <laughs> Protective gloves and use at the time of the incident provided insufficient protection Oh, and exposure to only a few Oh, costs. my God. And I remember oh, when she died, me. and it was in... Um, Horrible. She was studying the way mercury ions interact with DNA, and she was investigating the toxic properties. Um, she spilled one or two drops oh from gosh. the tip of a pipette onto her latex-gloved hand. Pipette. And not believing herself in any immediate danger as she was taking all recommended precautions, she proceeded to clean up the area before removing her protective clothing. Tests revealed later that it can, in fact, rapidly permeate different kinds of latex gloves Mm -hmm. onto the skin. It was later confirmed by hair testing, and she died three months after. She began having symptoms, and she began to get slurred speech, loss of balance, five months after, aggressive. and then she had aggressive therapy, chelation therapy, Chalation. and then she laughs into what appeared to be a vegetative state, oh my punctuated God, by periods horrible. of extreme agitation. One of her former students, and this is all from Wikipedia, but I do remember this, oh, dear. her husband saw tears rolling down her face, I asked if she was in pain, the doctor said it didn't appear that her brain could even register pain. Huh. She was yeah, removed doctor, from light. Thanks. Yeah, and she's in her body <laughs> screaming, I, I can, I can, but I since can't. she couldn't talk. But she was removed from light support and oh died on God. June 8, 1997, less than a year after her initial exposure. Oh, my God. And while God. John what a did... <laughs> What John did <coughs> that we find out in the last episode is he used to do this thing where you melt gold into mer- mercury, mercury, and then you burn the mercury <coughs> off, and you and you burn the so mercury off inhaling. and paint plats. So he was constantly inhaling it, and he was doing it in his shop. And I'm sure, and like as an expert, Brian Reed quoted said, "You'd have to prove he didn't have it more than he that he had it." Yeah. If he had been inhaling it for those since teen, so for thirty years he had been doing yeah. that, um, a few times a year. Yeah, so I think he liked to flirt with danger. I think he as did. A lot of depressive people do. And then you know, it's funny he, the way he killed himself was a horrible. He he it was probably cyanide, one of the most horrible, just like Jonestown. Yeah, though, cyanide. But he, he and he was on the phone. No, and why he called up that woman, Faye, the town clerk, and that did it while weird. he was on the phone to her. I think because he wanted a final connection, and he didn't want to be alone, and I he didn't think, want and to be she alone. She didn't take offense. See, I would have been like, no, she, she seemed to, You, you know. why are you calling me up to yeah, put me? Through but she this. seemed to. So anyway. Was, I, there were so many things I'm going to listen. I know there's a couple other podcasts that are talking about it that I haven't... Our uh, buddies, you mean? Our, our friends, Crime Writers, on that I haven't listened to. I listened to, to them after. I listened to... I listened to them on my trip after I listened I to the first episode they did where they talked about episode one or, and one and two. And then I said... And they were trying not to do any spoilers. Or anything, but then I said to myself, you know, I have to listen to Shit Town before I can go back and listen yeah, to Yeah, and you'll appreciate it. They and, all liked and, it. And I, it made me feel happy about podcasts that you can it doesn't have to be and I hate to be cliche it's it can be like an art form to me that was a literary it was a book version of a podcast it wasn't like our shitty uh what ours would be like I don't know like a (laughs) Crappy magazine, maybe version of a podcast. Our, ours, would be like remember. Ours would be like Ann Landers, Grit magazine, <laughs> her Weekly World News, <laughs> <Our> weekly world. <laughs> With the alien. Highlights was two p pg um uh, uh, no I was G-rated, thinking of like, like, like no gallant. I was thinking of one of those shoppers you get in the mail that but we don't have a bunch of ads. I actually like so I read them. No, I, the say I, I, I read that. the Sentry all the time. I get it every week. I I think we're better than the Sentry. Which is a weekly newspaper in I mean, our podcast. Yeah, <laughs> don't you? <think laughs> for better I than don't themselves? know. I like the Century, uh, but anyways, I digress. But I don't know what our equivalent would be. But we're totally different than that. But that one—that I mean, was like—it's funny that you do this comparison. This has nothing to do with this, but in my the <laughs> book, the not, the book I'm writing now, so, uh, the protagonist. What's the title? I think it's bad news travels fast because all my books have news and the Bernie O'Day series have news. But she, I don't want to give too much away for the one or two people out there that may have read my other ones, but in in a break from her police chief Boyfriend, <gasps> she had an affair with Sandy the fire Ooh, chief. A very short one Sandy. because because I told you to get them. Together. It was kind of you got me thinking about I like it. Like Sandy, yeah. Well, and she compares it to her friend who's trying to figure out what the hell was going on. That yeah, with Pete, it's like you read a Shakespeare. She's talking about sex, okay. It's not. Don't get that look on your face. It sounds. It's going to sound better in the book. It's like the Shakespeare. Where you read it and it's very intense, and you read it several times, and it's like, wow, that was a very intense experience. Blah blah blah. And then, but sometimes you just want to read the Jabberwocky. Mm -hmm. You know. Although I don't think I want to have sex like the Jagger jagger, is A metaphor. Okay, I know it is. I know. I know. And maybe I need to work on it a little more. It was brilliant. <laughs> I know. No, but you just read it and it's I fun know. and the it's word fun. play and you're enjoying yes, yourself fun, and blah, yes. blah, blah, blah. Like, and they're like two totally different like things. Like I used to like reading The Cat in the Hat to Hannah. Right. It's, I love you bringing up your six-year-old when we're talking about sex. That That's gross. I know it is. It that way. It is. But okay. maybe it's time for us to stop for the night. I didn't know did, if I had. Did I have more to talk about? Did you? I don't know. Oh, There's been, a lot of things that when we you're could talk re- listening to shit town, you want to talk to people about. Like, maybe we fu- could talk all night. Like, like what? Well, like they made that that Faye woman seem sketchy. Like, why was she? Faye, the town clerk. Yeah. Like, why did she say she had called people when she hadn't, and all that shit? That's well. Funny. There are some things you just don't know the answers yeah, to. I know but I don't like that. I know. That's what makes it not like a real book cuz in a real book that would... you have to tie up the loose ends. Yeah. But no, I thought it was it was good and I and I had not looked at the pictures online, so I just looked at them. And they show the maze and the they show Oh, I have to look at the, the pictures tattoos. too. And he he's not a bad looking guy. He said he wasn't good looking, but he's not bad. Looking. Well, there's that one guy he well, the he became Olin. friends with Olin, who had that one moment where he just wanted to rip his clothes off, lick him all over, yeah. kiss him, or whatever he wanted to do. I know. I really, I think I liked it more than I would have liked it if it had been a true crime podcast. Oh, yeah. As much as I like true crime, it was well done. I mean, all the it time. Was done. Yeah. But I just felt it was a nice, fresh look at something that made you think about stuff. Yeah. So we're going to be back next week. And maybe we'll have Ask a Lawyer. I don't know. I don't see us getting together with Matt before next week. Okay. Do you? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, um, I, so can't, I, have, I do not see... And next week, you're going to do something. have that look on your face like, ooh. I'm trying to think do. of what I'm going to have time to do one uh, next week. But yes, I will. And so if you want to email us and complain about something that we said, Crime and Stuff, at gmail.com. That's our Gmail address. Crime and Stuff. And our Gmail. website's Crime and Stuff Online. Top, where top. there's also a contact form. And also you can subscribe by to iTunes, yes. Android. You can listen to it on an RSS and feed. However you're doing it, especially iTunes, can you subscribe, rate, and review? You can rate and review us. Even if you want to give us a shitty I don't care. Just yeah, something. I know you keep give us that. throw us a bone. Yeah. And you can also donate on Patreon. Patreon. Yeah, on our if you go on our website, there's a ways to donation. And you can PayPal's a one-time donation, and you can get some cool stuff. Yes. And you can. What else? I think that's it. And we will. I don't think Matt's going to be back next week, but maybe the week after. If Matt's too tied up, I think Maureen is too tied up. Ooh. No, I've got like four jobs, and Crime Wave is next weekend. Oh, Crime Wave. And. I oh, we don't, there is not one, because oh, no, be when out, this cause comes out, Crime Wave will be over. Uh, you guys missed it. You uh, missed it, and it was awesome, it was even though it hasn't happened yet. The problem is, I don't think there's any break in my schedule. I see. And that's, you know, yeah. I'm not complaining. It's nice to have several jobs <laughs> like, <laughs> that make shit. money. Like, uh. and I, I do have to write that book, too. Yes, you need to write your book. Okay. So maybe I'll stop and we'll go do that. Okay, bye. See you next week. Sorry, just a minute. (laughs) I'm sorry. I know you hate that.